0: This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. You're listening to Spirit Matters at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Ed Sarath, who is a professor of music in the Department of Jazz and Contemporary Improvisation at the University of Michigan School of Music, and also director of the University of Michigan Program in Creativity and Consciousness Studies. He is a very accomplished performer and composer, and his most recent book, Improvisation, Creativity, and Consciousness, Jazz as an Integral Template for Music, Education, and Society. Uh, Ed, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk to us today.
1: My pleasure to be with you guys. Ed, um, we want to talk a lot about your book, and, uh, which covers a lot of ground, Improvisation, Creativity, and Consciousness, and there's a lot in there about <clears throat> spiritual development, and so forth. Um, maybe you could begin by giving our readers an idea of, uh, of your own background and how you came to this kind of work as, as both a scholar and uh, a jazz artist.
2: Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great place to start. I, I'm trying to think now how far back I should go. Well, <laughs> I, I came up, I came up uh, largely uh, with classical training up through high school, and even when I began as a music major and um but towards the end of high school i started getting interested in jazz and then it hit me like a, it hit me like a freight chain and i um it uh for for many years actually i was um uh, certainly through graduate school i got my master's degree in classical performance i was one of these people that had aspirations of doing both uh jazz and classical music and you know uh, for lack of better terminology world music and all this kind of thing uh, but the j- the jazz really took over, and then I became um, around the same time, t- uh, towards the end of undergraduate school, uh, became involved in uh, meditation practice. And um, after a little while, it, I started uh, realizing the profound connections between improvisation and meditation. And um, that that actually sort of serves as as, as key to the book, where, in which in which I look at the jazz tradition and its long history of. Uh, leaning practitioners who are, who are very interested in contemplative, uh, engagement. Um, uh, we have a very nice interplay between what I call the, the parts, to whole improvisation based creativity and the whole to parts, meditation based, uh, spiritual development, consciousness development. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, that's the short answer <laughs> to, mm-hmm. uh, to something that, um, there are many sort of little, uh, side trips that could be made there and, and maybe we'll make some of those. Right, right. I'm sure we will.
0: Yeah. Ed, uh, I'm I'm a person that is not particularly creative, but I really enjoy the creative process. I really listen. I enjoy listening to creative people and 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 listening to them perform, especially in music. In jazz, uh, one of the big elements is improvisation. You obviously go into a room, you play, and you pick up on the vibes, the audience, whatever's going on. And uh, is there any way you can teach that? You get a student. Is there a way to teach them? the skills, the intuitions, uh, and whatever else makes up somebody who is good at improvisation.
2: Well, you know, this, this is such an interesting question and it you know, comes up, it's nothing new, but it seems like it's coming up more and more as improvisation is something that is being viewed as uh, something that's not unique to music. It's, you know, the business mm-hmm. world and, uh, I just gave a talk at the University of Michigan Medical School uh, a year ago, and and commonly, you know, give talks on improvisation to cross-disciplinary audiences. So everyone, you know, the improvisation is kind of it's like the new, mm-hmm. the new, you know, buzzword. Um, but I think when when we, you know we can look at improvisation across fields, and, and there are certain observations we can make. And one is that there definitely is this intuitive flow that maybe some people are. are are born with uh, an incl- inclination towards more than others, but that can be cultivated. Um, and, and that's, that's where the, the meditation and that kind mm-hmm. of practice can really help. But then there's also, and this, this is what a, a lot of people don't realize, uh, uh, there's a rigorous kind of chops <laughs> that, that you can't get around. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, yeah, I, like, I like to compare um, improvisation music to sports you know, we just saw the NBA championship yeah, right, and, and yeah. you cannot you cannot find, you know, a more improvisatory sport with the exception of maybe ice hockey than right, basketball. Right. And um and we, and when you look, you know, and we have these stereotypes of the, you know, in this in this case LeBron James or, you know, before him Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky, you know, um or say a Miles Davis who, you know, just had this raw talent. Uh but the thing is when we look a little closer, I mean, these guys are the hardest working guys. Right. Uh you know, these these guys get to the, the, the into the practice room or get to the you know, get to the ball field earlier than everyone else and they stay later. And um so there's two aspects of it. You do have this intuitive flow, I, I think as you described it, but also there's the other the other the craft of it is mm-hmm. really um, is really just as important. And and the thing I love in terms of teaching and just sort of thinking about these things is, is how these te- these two things get um uh, go together so there
1: there's a kind of interplay between uh, structure and form on the one hand and freedom and and looseness on the other. It yeah. sounds like and yeah. if if i'm interpreting uh, the uh, some of the material in your book correctly with respect to um, transcendence or you know deep spiritual experience, um, it sounds like uh, creativity, or in your case, improvisation, could be an entry point almost like a spiritual practice of its own, uh, an entry point to transcendence, and at the same time it 's a kind of outcome of deep spiritual experience so the, the one would seem to feed on the other is that, am I correct
2: oh that 's absolutely true, and that's what i that's, that's the, the the parts to whole principle is that is that the, the parts meaning that we're engaging in uh, a, a very, a very localized kind of um, intensive mental, physical, uh, emotional, creative flow, and this opens up to this more expansive, tra- transcendent experience. And then, and in, in with more overtly, you know, more explicitly spiritual or consciousness-based practice, uh, we do the opposite. Mm-hmm. We we step out of out of the stream of of uh, the parts and um, delve right into the whole. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, in turn. That in turn, over time, as I know you guys know, this is uh, then informs this wholeness in the realm of the parts. So we have the, the best of both worlds.
0: Right. Uh, and and uh, uh, I'm fascinated by jazz and I, I think about it a lot. And I fantasize uh, maybe to know the life as coming back as a jazz musician. Uh, but <laughs> but like you said, you have to have okay, the Okay, you could yeah. do
1: that. I'll be the basketball <laughs> yeah, player. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you, have
0: to, you have to have the, 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 the skill to be able to actually play the instrument and do whatever you want with it. So the way I see it uh, it, is that people have these, uh, the great musicians have these incredible internal experiences and then they have the uh, practical skills, the techniques to communicate that to the audience and then they feed off the audience. And one thing in the evolution of jazz, and I'd like you to shed some light on this for me, uh, there are performers and performances and groups and it's almost like they're talking to each other through their instruments. Uh, and sometimes the audience locks in and grooves with it. Other times it becomes so abstract, the audience uh, is, is lost. Um, how, what, what are your thoughts on that? And it, it, Could that be used as a criticism or is it, um, is it better that uh, people that perform like that only perform for more sophisticated, more uh, educated audiences? Your, your thoughts on that?
2: Well, this is a... Uh, boy, we could have a whole symposium on this and and probably be more confused than we were at the beginning. <laughs> but uh, It's like, uh, that's how they describe consciousness studies, you know. Right. But um, this, is, uh, this is such an interesting question, Dennis. The, um, and, I, and I've thought about this a lot, because it's, it re, you, you really hit on a, a major issue in, in, say, contemporary arts. Uh, and I think the, the bottom line is that, is that the, the creative artist is tapped into a dimension of consciousness, a spiritual awareness or whatever that is linked not only, not only with the, 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 the audience in a given, in a given location, a given performance episode, but sort of the, you might say the pulse of the times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the really profound artist is in touch with that and is, and is able to create from that, that, that space, a, a kind of expression that will certainly um, at times stretch the boundaries of the audience, but at the same time be, be, be flowing from such a deep source that, that, um, it, it goes beyond sort of mere entertainment. Um, uh, it, it, it really, it really mm-hmm. enables, uh, and I've had this experience sometimes with, um, ensembles that, uh, played, played some music that was really, would really stretch the boundaries. Uh, in fact i've had two experiences that, that that actually exemplified the good and the bad of what we're talking about i've had experiences that the music was so out that you know we lost the audience and, and you know the question is was it worth it and the, and the and the answer i you know maybe performers don't tend to give but that i would say no it wasn't uh, we mm-hmm. were just sort of maybe indulging in something that was disconnected from the deep, deep source but i've also had the experience where um i in fact i've had this many times where the music would the music that, you know, listeners would come up and say, I've never heard music like that. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I, I, even the, the comments that um, if somebody told me that this was the kind of music it was going to be, I wouldn't have come or something like that. But, it, you know, it took me away. It, it just it really had a profound experience. So I think I think of it in terms of this is really the obligation of the artist to tap into that, that place that has really transcended these, sur- these, you know, kind of mm-hmm. surface categories and judgments about whether it's, um, whether it's innovative, whether it's conservative, or, or all that, because all those, are, all those are, are, are isolated facets of something that encompasses all of those possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, deep, deep art is going to have conservative aspects, and it's also going to have boundary-stretching aspects. And when, they, when they're integrated, and, and, and they can only be integrated from this deep grounding, then, then the impact is
1: transformational. Great, great, great answer, yeah. Um i picking up on that uh um, you know back when I was young and a pseudo hipster in college I, I went to a, a lot of jazz concerts and clubs and I once had the privilege of watching John Coltrane and I know that he is one of the uh the paramount uh, jazz artists who you refer to as Having been involved in meditative practices, he and his wife Alice of course and i I, I researched them a bit for my book um, and I know there are others um, but one, one of the things that's interesting is what you just said you, you know we we associate uh, meditation or contemplative practice with uh, sort of peace and harmony and and yet some of the music that would come out of, of <laughs> um, people like Coltrane it was a dedicated practitioner um would not sound peaceful and contemplative to people It's the yeah, sort of not like new age music or something um can you you know give us specific examples perhaps of some of the artists you're you're thinking of in in those re- regards and and um well, you can't play their music on the air at the moment, but maybe you can be a little more specific about that.
2: Well, you know, what I would say is that, um, you know, there's, there's sort of stereotypical associations between, you know, and, uh, as you said, new age music and all that, and the, um, uh, you know, sort of the inner experience and all that. But that's that's really, that is really superficial because when we look at, you know, um, let's step back from music for a second. When we look at, when we look at, you know, the, the, the spiritual adepts, mm. They were uh, very dynamic individuals, mm. in- incredibly dynamic individuals who are risk-takers and who are always on the outer edges envisioning in, in this sort of thing. Um, and so, um, you know, that really dispels the stereotypes. So, so to me, the, the, um, you know, actually the Coltrane's are the, are the more representative uh, ideal of, 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 of sort of this Coexistence of of deep inex- experience and, and you know full engagement, mm. full engagement in the turbulence of life, and and Coltrane's music was I mean there was a, a kind of turbulence but there also there were also moments of you know um, of repose you might say yeah. in terms yeah. of you know it wasn't it wasn't all uh, high intensity and all that and I think you know and it, and it's interesting too because Coltrane at its you know we always have to look at historically too that Coltrane was uh driven by a force of, of blasting away boundaries. Mm. And so in that phase there was a lot of focus on on you know the so-called sheets of sound and that, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But when we look at um you know I'm thinking about somebody like a John McLaughlin who um the guitarist who would um in fact um Phil I think you you have a nice section on him in the book Yeah too, I don't? do. Yeah. yeah. Um uh, you know and he even though, even though he's a guitarist he he describes himself as a post Coltrane or you know a Coltrane disciple, and his music is a great example of uh, just the most ferocious chops. I mean, it's like oh my god! Um, at the same time, there's you know there's like exquisite stillness uh, in in the music too. Mm-hmm. So it's um, um, yeah, I think I think it's important to kind of you know again again the um, you know as things mo- as things progress in terms of creativity and consciousness development the the, the idea of uh, you know, all possibilities definitely comes in as a uh, a guiding, a guiding and inspiring hmm. principle. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, <clears throat> and uh, it seems that there's uh, uh, more more fusion, uh, less of a boundary between jazz and rock and classical and uh, all the different musical genres. Uh, that and and I picked up on this speaking to some young musicians. Uh, is that the case that? Uh, at one time, jazz was more in its own category. Rock was in its own category. Classical, whatever. Uh, and that now uh, young musicians t- tend to go from one genre to the next. And and how does does that hurt the purity of of jazz or uh, in, an improvisation, or is it a good thing?
2: Well, you know, um, this uh, this is a, a, a kind of a hot topic too. And the thing we have to keep in mind is that every tr- musical tradition that we know of. Um, including you know i i always i always go back to you know like say north indian mm-hmm. uh Hindustani tradition is um sometimes referred to as indian classical music and and the thing is it, it's a it's a it's a result of the the collision it's a result of the islamic um you know invasion of I- of India maybe eight hundred years ago or something like that where you had you know uh the, the, the mid eastern strong mid eastern cultural and musical influence came and divided uh indian certainly musical culture in between, you know, North Indian and South mm-hmm. Indian music. So even somehow this, um, um, this tradition that is always, you know, often touted as, as being, you know, sort of pure and all that is actually, um, not that old in, in, its, in its current form. So, so every, every musical label that we can come up with is really, it's, it's sort of like the most recent way that we categorize that the, this evolutionary flow. Um, so, but, but there's another, there's another aspect of this that's related to what we were just talking about. And that is the difference between sort of superficial, uh, linkages between, um, different kinds of music, uh, kind of gimmicky kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You have this little bit with, um, sometimes classical musicians, musicians who are trying to expand their boundaries, um, will, you know, take some little, you know, sprinkle of jazz or something like that, or maybe some world music. Right. And, um, as opposed to the the real organic synthesis that, mm-hmm. um, that that comes again from that you know operating from that deep space and and you know you go back saying you know among classical composers you can see like you know certainly going back to Debussy and Ravel uh, who were inf- influenced by gamelan music and up you know up through Stravinsky and Bartok and all that you see a very a kind of organic synthesis that. Um, that you'll see, you know, also with say the John Coltranes and, and McLaughlins and people like that. Um, that's a very different thing. It's a very different thing. But, but, but again, the, the sort of the melding, the confluence, is really the that's that, that's the uh, that's that's the core of what's going on. Actually, it's not the um, the
1: categories mm-hmm. are are really the, the byproduct of that. Um, Ed, I'm I'm really glad you brought up uh, North Indian classical music. Um, I, I don't know the history so much, but uh, I do know that uh, I remember spending a lot of time in jazz clubs and being in entranced not just by the music but by watching the players and how they s miraculous seemed, miraculously seemed to know what one another was thinking and what they were about to do and Then, when I saw Indian musicians like Ravi shankar i had the same experience and um I'm told that uh, what we think of as classical music, Western classical music, um, was more improvisatory uh, back when Beethoven and Bach and so forth were were actually playing. Um, Do you did you bring that into your study of improvisation, or did, uh, it, 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 well, it, you just know not good it,
2: this is one of my favorite topics, Phil, and I um, I actually go into this in my book because. The um, you know, in fact, I do a lot of speaking uh, around the world actually now on, on, on a lot of these things. And one of the when I'm addressing classical audiences, I, I I like to kind of challenge them a little bit, and I and I say that if today, if you're a classical musician and you improvise, you're kind of a weirdo. Two hundred years ago, if you were a classical musician and you didn't improvise, you would be you'd be even more of a weirdo. Um, and you're and you're right. It was it was it was it was at the heart of mm-hmm. of the classical tradition, and. Um, uh, and the thing with the thing with integral theory is that you know my book is the first to actually apply integral theory to music. Uh, the thing about integral theory is it gives us an incredible way to map this. I mean, basically, what's happened is that, um, as as Ken Wilber would put it, the uh, you know the process spectrum of uh, he doesn't go into music to this degree, but the principle remains. The process you had this uh, uh, kind of a uh, an organic differentiation, which is at the heart of evolution. To come to a, a, a dis- dissociation between these these um, performance and creation in the classical tradition and now what's happening um, is that um, these things are, are you know jazz is actually bringing improvisation back to in western in western music and, um, and that and you see signs of it in the classical world
0: mm-hmm. and, and I wanted to ask you um, uh, the, the great innovators in jazz like Louis Armstrong like Duke Ellington um, what What allowed them, what caused them to be as innovative as they were? Was it that they had just incredible technical ability? Did they have a different kind of uh, experience in their lives that they were expressing through music? Did they pick up on something in the collective consciousness of the world that was shifting? Uh, You know, when I talk to jazz musicians, I always refer back to to Louis Armstrong. And certainly I've always loved listening to him. I'm sure people like yourself can appreciate him much more deeply than I can but what, what, what was it about them uh, it, 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 was it the, the point in history that that they existed in that allowed them to do what they did and have such a long uh uh lasting influence
2: well it, in in my book there's uh I have a chapter called innovation mm-hmm. and what I or actually it's called individuation and the basic idea is very much a kind of a jungian jungian idea and the basic idea that I applied to creativity is that we all have the potential to evolve uh, a personal voice that is deeply rooted in consciousness. This is roughly uh, uh, equated to Jung's thought. Now, I I distinguish between innovation and individuation and innovation. Innovation, individuation is something that is, is, is sort of like everyone's personal obligation. Not just in creativity or music, but in every aspect of life. And mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like it's it's sort of like a localized version of enlightenment. You might think, uh, you might say, I, I I kind of draw that connection. But then then there's you're talking about the innovator, and and the, the point I try to make is that. Innovation is, uh, is, a, is a, a case, a special case of individuation that involves the alignment of the sort of the personal horizons, growth horizons of the artist. And, 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 and I'd like that you mentioned collective consciousness um, because that, that, that there's something very profound there. there there's, um, the, the, the innovating artist also is aligned with the needs of the collective consciousness for something new to come out. And so it's not. Uh, in fact, I use Coltrane as an example. It's not that Coltrane said, or Louis Ar- Armstrong, or Ellington, as you as you mentioned. It's not that any of these innovators consciously said, I- "I'm going to innovate." I, I mm. have a choice to either <laughs> I right. can do this, I can I, I can just be a-, a mere lowly individuator, <laughs> or I can be an innovator. It's just it was the natural flow, and um, and and, it, and, it, and innovation is is really more of a byproduct of of that profound artist going deep into his or her creative reservoir and coming up with something that speaks to, uh, speaks to the world in a very profound way and, in a sense, kind of ushers in a new era of practice. Um, but, it's, but it's not something that they consciously
1: uh, try to do. Mm-hmm. Ed, um, you mentioned integral theory, um, and I know that, um, um, that forms a kind of frame for your book um and you the very first chapter in your book is the AQAL framework which we uh, which is associated with Ken Wilber uh, for those in our audience who are not familiar with wilbur's work or integral uh or uh, AQAL uh, maybe you can give us a a brief <laughs> <laughs> Wilber 101 Cliff notes. uh this is uh <laughs> okay I'm, I'm
2: earning my money now yeah. all right well
0: the twenty-five words um, or less. Yeah, Just you kidding. know. Yeah. You
2: know, one of the things I'm most proud about is that um, I actually came up with a, a one sentence uh, definition of integral theory, and I'll give it to you right now. Hopefully, I get it right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's a great challenge. You know, it's like first, first lay out the one sentence version, then the one paragraph, then the one page, and then you can go yeah, after the yeah. rest. So, integral theory uh, maps the inner and outer dimensions of human and cosmic reality. Human potential and cosmic reality. So there's three parts to it. Two, uh, this is all one sentence. So <laughs> the, the the process scope that is required to navigate the inner and in outer dimensions of reality, and then three, uh, the evolutionary dynamics that that describe, you might say, or guide this growth over time. So the first, so the first part of it. Is I
1: want like, I want to first compliment you. <laughs> <laughs> for the for the creativity of making all that one sentence. <laughs>
2: well, well you you got you had a little commentary here with you know so but actually actually the sentence I think I may use a, a few semicolons but um it's actually it's, uh, a it's even a less sentence nonetheless uh,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, but just to you know just to to to, to do it just a bit into it more so inner and outer Okay, so there's an outer world, there's an inner world, and um, and we, you know, yoga, the integration of the inner and outer. uh, Two, the process scope. We have to, if we're going to navigate this expanded realm of human and cosmic potential we need to uh have the proper vehicles and and so this is uh we need we need the meditation practices we need the um the the creative uh engagement the creativity of the arts uh we need the you know the uh the rigors of science and all all that kind of thing uh so that's kind of like right in there you have the one two the first second and third perspectives of integral theory and and by the way the aqual uh, is, is sort of an elaboration of, it's a four-part elaboration of the three perspectives. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, what it, an interesting part, and I think a really overlooked uh, aspect of integral theory is the third aspect here of the evolutionary scale. So going back to, say, European classical music, uh, it, it maps beautifully on the integral progression from uh, pre-modern to modern to post-modern to integral, and basically, basically, um, classical music when improvisation fell by the wayside, and you had you had the uh, ascendance of the the art object um, and it's an amazing collection of art objects this was a this was a movement into a, a, a very uh, firmly modernist phase in the classical tradition improvisation coming back is a, is, a, is a post-modern move and then of course everything culminates in the integral uh, because you see in fact you see an Class and contemporary say, from the mid 20th century, a little bit before that, I guess. On, you know, the so-called new mu- music movement in classical music, which is decidedly postmodern, that actually disconnected itself, and this is all consistent with sort of the broader cultural analysis, disconnected itself with its prior uh, prior roots. And then in, in the integral phase, you have the the improvisation coming back, and you still have the the you know the canon of of um, Compose music and, and all that kind of thing. So that's probably the quickest version of Integral that you're ever going to get. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, Subject um, matter for it, it, an, it,
0: an entire show. Uh, hey, <laughs> Ed, uh, if somebody listening in now and they're a young musician and they have a lot of potential, a lot of skill, and they get inspired and they think, I'm going to put my heart and soul into being a great jazz musician, uh, w- what advice do you give that person?
2: First, immerse yourself in the recorded legacy, and of course, go to as much live performance as you can. But you have right now—I mean, you just have an unbelievable repository of recordings—and mm-hmm. um, immerse yourself because because you have to you have to internalize the mm-hmm. the language, mm-hmm. and um, you know, from a consciousness-based theory, st- uh, standpoint, this is not just this is not just superficial. Aspects of the language, but actually, what you might call deep structures that go way, way deep in consciousness mm-hmm. that you um, can really only get—you can't get by reading a book. You can't get by even practicing. I mean, because you're gonna have to practice. is gonna be the number two. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but um, have to have to come orally. Uh, the second thing is then you have to you have to become launched on a you know. Uh, rigorous program of, of, of uh, learn, mastering your instrument and, and, and mastering those language structures of the mm-hmm. of jazz, so I mean those two things in themselves are, would be a good
1: start uh, ed let's shift from the uh, aspiring uh, musician to advice for the listener. Um, what advice would you give to somebody uh, who wants to uh, See if, if they can have a deep experience of the kind you, you uh, talk about uh, and allude to uh, as a listener of jazz and a greater appreciation. A and B, the B question is if that listener had to hear only one jazz album, <laughs> which would it be? Uh, great <laughs> question. <is> worse, <laughs> well, this is worse than
2: the integral question, or, uh-huh. or it's better. <laughs> Uh, this is great. Well, okay. So first, the first thing I would see, because you run into people that, um, oh, I, yeah, I hate jazz. I I tried it, or you know, the same thing with meditation. I tried it once, and mm. uh, and the thing that we have to realize is that there are many, many, many types, and uh, you have to. So this is leading into the second part of your question. You have to, you know, you have to look around a little bit um, uh, because there's so many types of jazz. Some are. Um, you know some are uh, like overtly rooted in certain blues and mainstream practices um and then there's all kinds of uh, global offshoots and all that and so it, so so say if you're somebody that is uh, coming up through um you know from a background in in maybe uh, popular music or or maybe even you know maybe new age music or something like that you know for instance there's what what's called the ECM jazz movement which started in uh, it, it actually is named after a record label in Europe that started probably in the seventies, maybe late sixties that is kind of like a really interesting and, and just you know powerful blend of of, of um, not necessarily European classical music but European folk music and jazz um, and there's some you know Jan Garbarek is probably emblematic of that tradition, the saxophonist um, and um, you know so that's so generally speaking i I would say really really go on a, a kind of a, a quest for. Uh, finding your entryways, and then once once you find something that is kind of brings you into the jazz universe, you, you know, things will open up inside, and you'll you'll have a, a more expanded receptivity to to other forms of the music, mm-hmm. um, you know. And from you know, just to, this is a, a, I think an important uh, detour here is that, and this is from a spiritual standpoint. The you know, in 1987, when I joined the faculty at Michigan, the House of Representatives, you guys might have. Heard about this? Passed a bill, HR fifty seven, which basically declared jazz as a national treasure mm. that needs to be preserved. And it's it's really beautifully written. You can Google it, and they mm-hmm. and they just reiterated it a few years ago. So it might have been the probably the twenty fifth anniversary of of HR fifty seven. But but the thing is, I mean, the question is, why is this important? This is important because this is and this is what I've been thinking and speaking about. Quite forcefully recently, this is an important aspect of the soul of Mm -hmm. America, and it's it's this is not just another kind of music, and this is and when you look at the world right now, uh, in in fact, um, I'm actually teaching a class in the uh, in the winter next winter called Black Music Matters, Mm. that is is really going into because when we look at what's happening in the world Mm -hmm. in terms of just just say the social justice conversation. Um, but there's also profound connections to sustainability here. But just on the social justice front, um, we really are learning, um, and of course we don't have to go into the current political scene so much right now, but <laughs> I read between the lines. Um, one of the things that we're learning is that um, we are, in terms of the social justice and more particularly the, the conversation on race, race awareness, race consciousness, um, we are basically in the 1860s. Mm-hmm. And we thought we were in at least the 1960s, if not <laughs> the 21st century. I mean, it's a really this is in a really incredible moment. So, so that to me, the jazz question goes way, way beyond music. Or I would say it goes it, it goes through music into something that's very deep in the consciousness of the um, uh, 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 evolution of our country. In a way, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a really this is an amazing moment. Um, so. Now, uh, the second part of um <laughs> oh,
1: I thought you were evading <laughs> it
2: <laughs> oh yeah, so oh was it specific examples um if you could pick
1: or, one or, album the, the one album,
2: oh, yeah, well, you know um you know you know what jazz musicians pick, but they're not necessarily so concerned about um sort of common people but but um or you know, the, the population. Um, they, they pick uh, Kind of Blue.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought mm-hmm. you'd say.
2: That, was, that is, um, and it's, to me, it's always been kind of an interesting choice. But, I mean, Kind of Blue might not be a bad place to start. Um,
1: Miles I Davis, mean, we should mention that.
2: Yeah, Miles Davis and, and Bill Evans plays piano on the record. And, um, um, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really a cast of, you know, um, of, of, of greats and all that. Um, but, yet, you know, I'm going to tell you, now, here's what I do. Um, uh, in fact, uh, this is, this is my, this is, um, actually in response to this question, when I'm teaching, giving a lecture, uh or teaching a class, um, to, um, sort of general audiences, there's, there's a record that Bobby McFerrin and Chick Corea did, hmm. um, called Play. It's just a, the mm-hmm. two of them, Piano and Voice. And, um... Uh, there's a, there's a cut called, and in fact, I'm, I'm taking your question a step further. I'm actually giving you not just a single record. I'm giving (laughs) you a single, a single track. Uh, it's a, it's a little tune called Blue Bossa. Kenny Dorham Kenny Dorham is a great trumpet player. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a 12 bar, um, 12 bar little bossa nova. And what they do with it is so magical and so extraordinary and so both, um, virtuosic um a, a innovative and utterly accessible
1: what's the it? song uh,
2: called it's, it's called blue basa basa
1: Bassa. Yeah, as in Bossa nova yeah.
2: basa nova yeah
0: we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. Uh, i look forward to listening to that and uh <laughs> and actually i i thought uh, ed if we if it's at all possible uh we discussed this a little bit before we went on the air uh if you could uh uh, close us out today by playing a little bit uh, uh, on your horn
2: sure I'll do that
1: and, and on, let me say it's, a,
0: it's been a pleasure having you on and I feel like this is the beginning of a conversation uh, Phil and I would like to continue to have with you because uh, it certainly stirred up a lot of uh, thoughts in my head uh, about, about jazz and about music and about consciousness and I'd like to pursue it further Phil any final notes from you? Ooh.
1: Yeah, I want to thank Ed for taking the time to be with us. This has been very illuminating, and I want to w- once again mention the title of his book, Improvisation, Creativity, and Consciousness, Jazz as an Integral Template for Music, Education, and Society. We didn't even touch on education mm-hmm. another time, Ed. Right. Okay. <laughs> and this will all be posted up on
0: our podcast, uh, uh, you know, at spiritmatterstalk.com. So, Ed, uh, Play we'll us it- a few bars. Okay, sure. Here we go. Hey, thank you so much. My that, pleasure, you guys. That was Ed Sarah. Uh, thank you again.